For the past 25 years, Bordeaux Index has been relentless in our focus on changing the fine wine market for collectors and investors. Today, we are the largest seller of fine wine and spirits globally. Bordeaux Index. Join us and visit BordeauxIndex.com. Welcome to Table Talk, the Spectator's food and drink podcast. I'm Lara Prendergast. And I'm Olivia Potts. And today we're delighted to be joined by Aisha Hazarika. Aisha is a journalist, broadcaster, former Labour advisor and stand-up comic. She served as special advisor to both Gordon Brown and Ed Miliband and was chief of staff to Harriet Harman. Since leaving Westminster Politics, she's performed two shows at the Edinburgh Fringe, written columns for The Scotsman and The Evening Standard, and is currently a presenter on Times Radio. Aisha, welcome to Table Talk. Thank you very much for, for having me, Lara. I'm very excited to be here. Aisha, we're going to start where we always do at the beginning and ask you, what are your earliest memories of food? So I think my earliest memories of food are actually not liking food very much, which is highly ironic given where things are now in my life. I remember just being quite a fussy eater, and I do remember, like, my mum and, you know, various babysitters coaxing and cajoling and, and threatening and just doing anything to try and get me to sort of eat. I, I think I was a very picky eater. But then, obviously, I discovered that food is indeed delicious and really good fun and really got into food. And then I think, for me, my kind of really early memories are definitely my mum's cooking. My mum is from North India, Assam, and cooks the most beautiful Indian food, but it's very different from the kind of Indian food you sort of get at your local takeaway. It's a very different style of of cooking. And I just, that's probably like my fondest early comforting memories of food is my mum's chicken curry. And what were mealtimes like for your family? So mealtimes were very important in our family. We were all expected to sit down and eat together and had a very sort of traditional family set up, particularly in the beginning. My dad was a GP. My mum at the beginning didn't work. So, you know, we would have like a proper sit down meal every night and we would eat a lot of Indian food. And I think that's why my memories of my mum's chicken curry is very, very, like looms very large in, in my mind. But sometimes we would try different things out, funnily enough. My mum was a brilliant, brilliant Indian cook, but is not that great at doing English dishes. But I think sometimes me and my brother were like, we want English food, we want like proper food, you know, it was like when you were really young and ignorant and you're like, your own food is like uh, minging. Little did we know that actually Indian food and international cuisine was terribly like kind of, you know, sophisticated and we would all grow to love it. So then my mum sometimes would have to like make us fish fingers and things like that, which bless her, she, she could never quite do brilliantly. They were either slightly overcooked or sort of undercooked. The curries were much better, to be honest. And what about school? Was that English food entirely there? What sort of things were you eating? Oh, the food was minging. The food was absolutely minging at my school. Oh, it was absolutely grim. Everything had just had like a lot of liquid on it. I mean, so I was going to school in sort of the, the kind of like, you know, 80s into 90s. And I do remember like... Every time you got food from the canteen, everything was just really wet. Everything, the meat was really wet. The vegetables were really wet. The chips were really, you know how chips are meant to be a treat. The chips were just like these kind of slimy, waterlogged, 
bits of sort of very pallid, pale, white, yellowy potato. In fact, I think my school dinners were so bad, I actually like begged my mum for a sandwich and a packed lunch. Like that is how bad the school dinners were. <laughs> and also remember the school dinners, the terror of the school dinners was after you ate your dinner and you'd take your tray back and put it away they'd make you get a really disinfected cloth to wipe the table and the cloths lived in this kind of pool of really dirty, manky water and you'd have to put your hand in and it was a different, it was like a smell of sort of fat, grease and very strong bleach and you'd have to put your hand in and search around till you found a sort of wet cloth. I mean, these cloths were full of germs. So dinner time at school has got traumatic memories for me. <laughs> Sounds very dramatic. What about after <laughs> you left school, Aisha? You went to Hull to study law. What sort of student were you? Were you, were you cooking for yourself? Were you living off takeaways? I was really unhealthy <laughs> at university. So I ended up becoming friends with these like five girls and we all lived together. And we, we started off in halls of residence and then we moved. And I just remember... Me and my friend, one of my best friends, Catherine, really noticing, all our parents noticing, when we came home after the first term, we'd all got quite chubby because we had just eaten so badly in the halls of residence. Like, the food, again, was, like, really quite grim. But I think we thought we were being really healthy because we had, like, a cheap... I say salad in the looser sense of the word. It was, like, one leaf of lettuce with quite a lot of coleslaw and cheese on top. But we thought we were being really healthy because technically we were having a very light salad every night for dinner. And we'd have a few <laughs> chips on the side. And we just like, honestly, we, we, were just, we just ate so badly. And also, what was the other thing we thought we were being really healthy? You know, because I was so young, when I, went, I was 17 when I went to university, absolutely clueless. I'd never cooked anything in my life. I had no kind of adult life skills. I remember my friend Catherine and I thinking it was incredibly healthy to eat celery, but literally just dipped into a massive jar of mayonnaise. So like the celery was just like a vehicle for the mayonnaise. And yeah, we ate really badly. And then we then we all moved in a house together and we started to try and do some cooking. And we just used to eat vats of pesto and pasta. We actually thought that was quite sophisticated. Like we genuinely thought we were sort of really getting into the Italian cuisine and sometimes we'd mix it up sometimes we we're feeling very fancy we'd put a bit of sweet corn in there because we were really fancy so yeah it was pretty basic levels of food and of course a lot of takeaways there was a takeaway shop called kismet in hull and we spent a lot of time in there and one of the anybody who's been to hull university knows about chip spice so you get your chips and then you get the sort of quite hot sort of spice that you pour on your chips afterwards. So there was a lot of chips and spice going on at Hull. Not the drug spice, obviously, just the just the spice for the chips. Just clarifying that. <laughs> yeah, having having that on your chips is a different way to take it, isn't it? After graduating, you studied a master's in London, you joined the civil service, but you were also juggling your day job with almost literal moonlighting as a stand-up comic. What, how were you sustaining yourself during that period? What were you eating? What was your life like? I think I was mainly sustaining myself through very cheap white wine at that point <laughs> in my life. <laughs> I was kind of that sounds like my 20s. Very... <laughs> exactly. It's a really good question. I don't, when I look back at that point in my life, it's a really good question. How did I actually sustain myself? I think I did it. I spent a lot of my life at about one or two o'clock in the morning, particularly when I was doing gigs very late at night, and you'd drive back with a car full of comedians. So you'd go off to do a gig in 
Manchester and you'd all be driving back to London and you'd stop at a service station at about like one in the morning or something. I think it was really bad service station food. I think that's obviously what sustained me. I think there was a lot of kind of Ginsters, pasties and a lot of really bad things like that. It is just amazing when I look back and just look at how spectacularly unhealthy I was. I'm actually feeling quite ashamed that I'm actually articulating all of this. <laughs> Aisha, you've obviously also worked for a lot of significant Labour politicians. Ed Miliband, of course, was famously ridiculed for that bacon sandwich. Do you have any kind of entertaining stories from your time working for these Labour leaders in relation to food? Well, food and politics are a very important combination because when you work at that level of politics, you're spending a lot of time together and you have to eat together. You have to try and nourish yourself and sustain yourself. So it is interesting. You do end up eating with your boss quite a lot and the rest of the team. I mean, the funny thing about the bacon sandwich is that that whole bacon sandwich thing had a really bad set of consequences for people in Ed's office because not only was it absolute like total humiliation for poor Ed and for all of us as well, and everybody was like mocking us about the bacon sandwich and things. Although to be fair, I don't even think Kate Moss could elegantly eat a bacon sandwich. It's very hard to eat a bacon sandwich with any sort of dignity, particularly when sometimes the sort of bacon fat gets stuck in your teeth and before you know it, you're like flossing with a bit of bacon fat. It's just not a good look. But what we used to get as a treat in Ed's office when we were preparing for Prime Minister's questions, if we had been really good and we'd all worked really hard, is sometimes we would get a bacon sandwich. Like somebody would come in and say should we go and get bacon sandwiches? And everybody would be like, yeah. And then some poor intern would be sent off to get bacon sandwiches. And honestly, when the bacon sandwiches arrived, we would be so happy. We were like thirsty men in the desert that had never seen a glass of water before. We were like oh, practically on our hands and knees, like kind of just, I cannot wait for the bacon sandwich. And we'd be so happy to have these bacon sandwiches because preparing Ed for PMQs was like a hostage situation. It was it was like being in prison. There was like very little like food or water or daylight or fresh air. And you had limited trips to the loo. I mean, it was like a proper prison situation. So after the bacon sandwich incident, there were no more bacon sandwiches for us at PMQ. So we felt very personally slighted by the whole bacon sandwich incident. And what about when you go back up to Scotland? We know you're you're going to the Edinburgh Festival tomorrow, which is not your hometown. You're from Glasgow originally. But are there places in Scotland you seek out when you go back to from a food point of view? Are there is there anything you're looking forward to in Edinburgh? Yeah, I mean, I just like I've always loved just going back to um, Scotland. But I mean, so at the festival, being at the festival is very much like reliving my life as a stand-up comedian where I'll basically be fueled on, again, cheap white wine and probably chips. It's very, very difficult to be healthy at the Edinburgh Festival. Everybody goes up with really good intentions at the beginning of going, I'm basically just going to be eating kale and quinoa for, for most of the trip. Cut to not just eating deep-fried pizza, but my actual festival find the last time I was up was get this, I mean, this is like, this is not just a bit of carbohydrate, this is carboside. This is like, do not look away if you're on a keto diet. A mac and cheese deep fried toasty. That is what we're talking about. I can see a <laughs> slight look of horror, but also mild terror, but a mild thrill going across your faces as well. Because you, you're like, I'm disgusted, but I'm also curious. And yeah, I want to try food it. at the festival 
you've got to try it. I mean, literally you get diabetes immediately, but it is worth it. It's really worth it. <laughs> so Edinburgh for me is very much during the festival. It is just eating on the go and grabbing things. And there's lots of festival food and it's probably not the healthiest, but it's kind of fun street food stuff. But when I go through to Glasgow, I mean, Glasgow has got some absolutely amazing, amazing restaurants. But my two, the two favourites that really stand out for me are in a place called Finiston. There's a restaurant called Ox and Finch, which is absolutely stunning. And if you go to Glasgow, I highly, highly recommend it. It's my top recommendation to everybody that goes to, to Glasgow. And I was really pleased because my last very foodie friend, who's a real connoisseur, and he's quite, you know, he is quite highfalutin with his food. He actually got in touch with me afterwards and said, I completely agree. He was like, it's the best restaurant I've eaten at for like years. So Oxenfinch is very good. And obviously I love my mum's Indian food, but there is a great Indian restaurant called Mother India in India, which, if not in India, in Glasgow, which is absolutely fantastic as well. So they're my two big recommendations for Glasgow. Aisha, you've said before that orange cooked food is, to quote you, minging. Carrots, butternut squash, sweet potato. Do you stand by that? And are, are there any orange foods that you <laughs> you like and are convinced Can by? I just say that is such good research. Like, that is such <laughs> very good research, isn't it? You guys are good. My God. Like, nothing sneaks onto your radars. You know what? I've been challenged on this quite a lot. And I have taken time to reflect. And I stand by my decision. I think cooked orange food is absolutely minging, whether it's carrot, whether it's butternut squash, it's like sweet potato. I've tried, I've tried all these things. The weird thing is I really like raw carrot, but as soon as it's cooked, it just becomes, it kind of liquefies in your mouth. And it's, I think it's too sweet as well. So I absolutely stand by it. Anybody who serves me hot orange cooked food, we are not going to be friends. Do you know what? I'm I'm kind of with you on that. I th there are some exceptions, but I think cooked orange food is too sweet a lot of the time. And I would happily have it raw. Yeah. Don't you also think it becomes a bit like baby food? Yeah, I think in, in the wrong hands. <laughs> it, can, it can go very, very baby. You're suddenly looking at puree whether you want to or not, I think. So no, I, I, it is a controversial opinion, but I'm kind of with you on it. Thanks. Tell us about your ideal dinner party guests. If you could have, let's say, three of your previous colleagues from Westminster, who are Ooh. you hosting for a dinner party? Oh, my God, this is so good. Three of my previous colleagues. So I'm definitely going to have Harriet Harman there because she's always good value. She's always got loads to say and she's actually very, very good fun. I'm also going to have... Charlie Faulkner because Charlie is like so much fun and he also has always has so much gossip like he always has loads and loads of gossip so he's definitely coming and then okay I'm gonna invite I'm gonna invite two other people oh god I, okay I'm, I'm gonna have Ed I'm gonna have Ed there because I now have to have Ed we have to have Ed because he's gonna be he's gonna feel sad if Harriet and Charlie have been invited. Like that's going to create an issue for us for our friendship going forward. <laughs> so, Ed, I'm sure you're listening to this. We will not be serving bacon sandwiches. Do not worry. <laughs> and then the other person I'm going to invite, who I worked with very closely, and is just the most interesting, fun, clever, mischievous person, is Dame Rosie Winterton, who is she used to be the chief whip 
in the Labour Party, she'd be the Shadow Chief Whip. And she's now one of the deputy speakers in the House of Commons. And again, she is always just such a good laugh. And because she used to be in the Whip's office and now she's a deputy speaker, again, the gossip is just brilliant. She sort of knows everything that's that's going on. So I think that would be a very, very fun dinner party. And do you have a go-to dinner party dish that you'd cook? Right. So I just need to say I'm a very, very bad cook. Like, I'm incredibly bad. And I've actually been through... I was actually okay a couple of years ago, but I think I, I don't know what happened. I sort of lost my confidence. And then, you know, when just things go worse and worse and worse and you will bat... I mean, everything went wrong for me. I once put something on the stove and I didn't realise it was like one of those casserole dishes and I thought you could put it anywhere and I put it on the stove and it literally just like cracked on the stove and all this like chilli corn carne started like kind of just gurgling into it. It was like really bad. And then I tried to cook something during lockdown and I actually thought it was okay. It, it involved turkey mince and I tweeted it because I was quite proud of it and then Nigel also tweeted, tweeted it basically going, what on earth is this? And like, and then so many people like joined in. Like this man got in contact with me. And he works in like a prison, and he said we would not even serve this in prison. Like you wouldn't be allowed to serve this in prison. So, so I wouldn't be cooking a turkey swill. That would not be. I think I'd probably try and cook a curry of some description because I do feel in honour of my mother. I think I'd probably try. It would be nowhere as near as nice as my mum's curry, but I think I'd probably give that a bit of a go. Failing that, what I have done on occasion is that, like, I've invited people around, I will get very nice wine and very good snacks, and then when people have had enough to drink, they don't really care about who's providing the food, I then just say, we're going to get delivery, you can have whatever you want, and it's my treat, <laughs> and that's fine. That's really nice. <laughs> I would I would love that's to go around someone's house. Party. I that. want to go to that. <laughs> Well, we, we, you, you're welcome round any time. <laughs> Dips, nice wine, snacks, delivery. I just, I just think that's ideal. To finish, Aisha, tell us about your ultimate meal, your desert island meal, your last meal on earth. What, what are you having? Right, so I think to start, I'm going to have some oysters because I do love oysters. And actually, one of my other favourite restaurants is G Shiki. So I love, so definitely like having oysters to start. I think then for my main, I'm going to have, I'm not going to have my mum's curry because even though I love it, I do have it quite a lot. I think I'm going to have a very nice crab linguine. I've got a friend who just makes the most amazing crab linguine with like, like just the right amount of chilli in it and it's absolutely delicious. So that with some very, very nice white wine. And then for my dessert, I think I'm going to have a really really nice cheese board because I do absolutely love cheese and for some reason I've convinced myself that cheese is quite healthy for you because it's low sugar so that's like what's going through my head but one of the constant rows I have with my foodie friends who do, do love a cheese board they hate my favourite addition to a cheese board and I will stand by this decision as I have defended my position on hot cooked orange food the best cheese on a cheese board is Borsan, and I stand by that. I'd agree with that. And to drink alongside? Oh, to drink alongside, I'm definitely having a lot of really, really, really nice white wine. Maybe 
Sancerre or Gavi, but lovely, lovely, lovely white wine. And I think towards the end with the cheese board, I'm going to have a really nice red, like a Malbec. I mean, the only thing I might swap the crab linguine for is I do love a really good steak. So if I'm going to have a really nice, rare, juicy steak, luckily spectator listeners are not going to probably be too shocked that I'm having a steak. I haven't had children. I don't go on holiday that much. It's fine. I can have the old steak. <laughs> I'm definitely having that with a really nice Malbec. Delicious. Well, Aisha, thank you very much for joining Table Talk. Thank you so much for having me.